As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Starcast, the German football pod, Brought to you by The Athletic. Today, Christoph Biermann, Kevin Hatchard and I pay tribute to Falfa Wolfsburg, a quite unloved but increasingly impressive side now in third place under Oliver Glasner. We also check in on the latest in the power struggle at VfB Stuttgart, salute a new era of harmony or not at Bayern Munich and cast light on the rarest of events, a regulation trouble-free win for Dortmund against lowly opposition. Yes, this season really is crazy. All of this and more in Starcast. Hello, Christoph. Hello, Kevin. Hello, dear listener. Before we get going, just a quick reminder that you can read all the Athletic's amazing Bundesliga and indeed all sports content for only $3.99 per month. Go to theathletic.com slash Starcastpod to sign up. Okay, Christoph. And Kevin, lots of big wins, none perhaps bigger than that for Köln against Bielefeld. Was it really the first game Köln have won at home since the restart? I guess it was. Does that change the equation at the bottom of the table, Kevin? Yeah, I think it does because it just boosts that confidence. And as you say, it's been a long time since they have won at home. I mean, their record since the return from lockdown is appalling. There's no two ways about that. I think they've drastically underperformed given the squad that they have. I think Horst Helt has done his part by bringing in Max Meyer. We don't know how he will do in the long term, but we know the talent is there. And Emmanuel Dennis is a player that not that long ago was causing Real Madrid problems at the Bernabeu in the Champions League. So he's done his bit. It's down to Marcus Gisdol now to show that he can be a successful coach at this level. Because really, if you look at his whole spell at Köln, he had that one burst of games over about eight matches that got them out of danger last season. And this season, they have been poor. So I think to beat Bielefeld and just to make sure that there wasn't a gap opened up, uh, I think was very important for them psychologically. And it's just put that distance between them 
and the automatic drop zone as well. So I still think there's a lot of work to do there, but this felt like a really big step from them. I mean, last week we have already been talking about this uh, change of the um, psychology at the bottom of the table because and now, especially after uh, Cologne winning against Bielefeld, um, I think the, the, the picture is uh, even a bit clearer now because it seems very unlikely that Schalke and Mainz uh, will escape automatic relegation. And so it eases the pressure on the, the other teams because um, all of them can have the fear. So uh, it's Bielefeld, Hertha, Cologne, maybe also Augsburg. They all will have the feeling, okay, the worst case scenario is uh, that we are third from bottom and then we have to play the relegation promotion matches uh, against the third of the second division. And I think that helps, uh, it helps a lot, uh, especially Cologne, um, who were, you were mentioning, suffering from this uh, streak of bad home games um, since uh, the lockdown, because it was actually the first home win. And, um, uh, and, and yeah, I, I think things look brighter at uh, Cologne definitively. Uh, after a Sunday. Well, I mean, you're right, Christoph, of course, because Mainz and Schalke now look a little bit left out almost as far as the uh, chances for that 16th spot is concerned. Mainz still on 10 points, so seven points is not a totally unbridgeable gap. For Schalke, would have to make up nine points. But I think we have to talk about Hertha again. I mean, they seem to be drifting just further and further. This was a game under Paul Dardai who'd come in to steady the ship and to bring a bit more organisation and fighting spirit. The result was a 3-1 defeat by Frankfurt. Now it did come late. Uh, those goals were all conceded after the 66th minute and they were leading 1-0 but then they completely collapsed and now as you said Christoph, they're probably not going to go down automatically but there is still a good chance they might have to go into a relegation playoff, which if you're a big investor looking for a club that wants to go into European competition is not really the kind of scenario you want. So I think there the jitters and the bad vibes, if you will, are only just beginning. Paul Dardai, who, who came in as the new coach uh, to the end of the season or to the end of next season, it's uh, still a bit unclear how his uh, new contract is constructed. He, he did something very clever. He, he said, okay, the, we, we take this uh, match at Frankfurt as a kind of test match. So he can can look at the team and and uh, find out about, about them and uh, and so this week the actual work is going to start uh, so that buys him some time um, until they play Bayern at home uh, this weekend and uh, and also today on deadline day we might see uh, players coming in very likely Sami Khedira from Juventus Turin interesting. Um, uh, interesting idea. In interesting because Sami Kadira hasn't played for months. Uh, on the one hand side, on the other hand side, it shows that um, Hertha is desperately looking for a leader in their team because I think also Paul Dardai has uh, seen that as uh, one of the key problems. I think if you compare them 
talent-wise to the teams that are down there. There's no question that Hertha have a big advantage. I do think their squad's been put together like somebody playing football manager. It's very odd. The, the full-backs aren't good enough, and but there's been no talk of improving them. I still think they need another commanding centre-back, uh, but there's been no talk of that either. So they're going to bring in a central midfielder, which is an area they don't need to strengthen. And they're going to bring in potentially a wide player. They've been linked with Milot Rashica. Obviously, uh, you know, at time of recording, we don't know if that's going to happen. But I, I don't think that's an area necessarily uh, where they need strengthening. And they have some injury-prone players in that area. Uh, and Milot Rashica would be another of those. So I, I do think the squad planning has been uh, poor. And they've wasted some of the money that they've got. However, they do have enough quality. And I think... Dardai coming in is a real boost for them because the football is not great that he plays, but it is effective. And we've seen that over the years that he's been here to coach. And I think they will scrabble together enough points to get clear of trouble. The issue then is a club with massive ambitions. Where does it then go? And the only way they're going to go to the next level is to have a much more cohesive approach to bringing players in. I understand the Sami Kadira thing on the leadership level. I'm not sure I understand it on the playing level. Yeah, as you said, um, Christoph, Sami Kadira likely to come in from Juventus Turin, or as they're known outside Germany from Juventus, also Nemanja Rodanjic <laughs> coming in from Olympique Marseille, uh, possibly on loan. Um, another wide player, as you said. Um, Kevin, so we'll have to see um, how that uh, works out for for Hertha. I mean, Hertha are, are interesting because there's lots of stuff happening off the pitch as well. I think they're looking for a new sporting director, somebody to really take the club forward in a more sustained level now that Michel Preitz is gone. Uh, there's talk of Freddy Bobic maybe coming in or coming over from Frankfurt. There's talk of maybe Ralf Rangnick coming in. But in the background, there's also suggestions that Lars Windhorst is already fallen out of love with this project and is not prepared or able to invest any more big money into this supposed big city club. So it's going to be very, very intriguing to see what happens, not just this season, but also going forward with them. Um, and that kind of intrigue seems to be one of the themes of the season. I don't know if it's perhaps because we're lacking that little bit of extra colour in the stands, but off stage, if you will, there's loads of stuff going on. And the latest in the VfB Stuttgart soap opera is that Thomas Hitzelsberger, who'd written an open letter about uh, Falk to the president and saying that he had to run against him in the next uh, month's election, has now withdrawn, um, saying that it's no longer necessary and that he wanted to concentrate on the sporting side, where Stuttgart are indeed doing really, really well. They beat Mainz 2-0 on Friday night. They will definitely not be involved in any relegation worries. And with a bit of luck, they might just might just put more trouble or pressure on the European places. They're in 10 for 25 points. But offstage, Christoph, does this, as far as you know, down in Swabia now leads to some kind of uh, peace deal 
or is it just an armistice? What's happening there? If I would know, <laughs> because the situation is so if complicated. If you don't know, then who does? <laughs> uh, the, the, because the situation is uh, is so complicated right now. So um, what, what, what can be said is um, uh, that um, the reaction uh, towards uh, Hitzelsberger um, standing up, up as a candidate for the presidency has caused a lot of outrage among uh, Stuttgart supporters and members uh, of the club. They have the feeling uh, that it was a way to suppress information on a, a scandal that uh, dates back a bit longer. So Stuttgart were taking the football part of the, the club outside, set it up as a separate entity. And of course, the members had to vote for that. And it turned out that Stuttgart basically try to manipulate the vote by targeting the members with information using the data that they had on them, which is especially in Germany where data is sacrosanct and it's the biggest worry for Germans. No, my data, don't touch my data <laughs> is, is, is a no-no. And that is a scandal that's being investigated and the company that's come in, um, a, uh, a pretty um, big company that does these type of forensic investigations in Germany, they have alleged that they're being uh, scuppered, that they're being uh, prevented, that they're being obstructed uh, in their job. And they've pointed a finger at, at the people in charge now without naming them necessarily. And of course, Hitzelsberger wasn't there when this happened a few years ago. But as you said, Christoph, he's seen or perhaps has been portrayed as someone who isn't interested that much in this investigation, but perhaps more importantly, that that move was not a defensive one, as he had portrayed it, but a power grab to control the whole club, and the fans have, have stood up and raised their voice. And now he's withdrawn. And, and there are also, um, on the other hand sides, uh, uh, there is a lot, lot of opposition within the club uh, against the uh, now president because uh, a lot of people have the feeling that he is interfering where he shouldn't interfere. And uh, but but uh, as I said, I mean, the the um, it's 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 a, a complicated uh, political matter. And uh, now the overall impression is um, that everybody has lost direction. And Stuttgart can can be happy that the um, footballing side and the sports uh, part of the. Um, of the club is uh, uh, still working, obviously uh, not very impressed uh, by the situation around them. And uh, and so I, I, uh, I keep my fingers crossed for Stuttgart that they uh, found a, a solution uh, that uh, pacifies uh, the, the whole thing because now um, the overall impression is uh, there is a lot of poison uh, in in it now and um, the the uh, how how people are talking with each other and about each other and treating each other is is uh, is uh, very poisonous and um, yeah so let's hope they uh, they they find their uh, inner and outer peace again. I have to ask you one more question, Christoph, maybe on a slightly more um, fundamental, if you will, philosophical level. Uh, Bundesliga clubs unless they are controlled by 
by corporations, and there's one of two exceptions, of course, where that is allowed, are supposed to be democratically controlled by their members. There are supposed to be elections where the best man comes forward, stands, and then if he gets voted in, he controls the club as president. In reality, we never see real elections because there's, in most cases, or almost all cases, just one candidate that's being proposed. So it's just down to then whether he gets 95% or 90 or 85, but it's really not a real election. Would it be so bad if for once there was actually an election at a Bundesliga club between two people with different ideas and they can provide their ideas forward and instead of everyone saying, oh, the club is falling apart, look at the chaos, we just say, okay, two people are standing for this job and you can take your pick. Would it, would it be so chaotic and terrible if for once there was actually an election in a club? <laughs> it's a very good question and I, I, I think you're right, but it uh, should be. There, there seems to be uh, something within this, um, the culture of clubs where things like that are seen as a problem, actually. So uh, that two people or three people or four people come up, have um, different ideas, different concepts or, uh, about how a, a club has to be run and about the direction and then the members can decide about it is seen as uh, too complicated almost. And, and so we have a lot of uh, backroom discussions before that and then everybody, they are presenting a candidate and everybody knows before more or less that he will be the one. But but coming back to Stuttgart, um, what, what they are heading to is um, at least uh, a vote where they have two candidates. And, um, and that uh, the club, that there is a committee within the club who decides about who can be candidate. So it's not like that uh, you, you can come and say, I, I would like to be the candidate, uh, but they have to decide about it before. And um, yeah, it, it's all very complicated. And I think um, maybe this kind of that are also different at uh, different clubs um, maybe need uh, need to be rethought. Christoph and Kevin, what are your plans for Thursday night? Well, I'd love to tell you I have a list of glittering social engagements, but I am I'm free <laughs> as a bird on Thursday evening. Yeah, say, say, same with me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I plan to go out, but I uh, stopped the plan long ago. So, Christoph, you're telling me you're not going to one of those all-night um, underground techno clubs <laughs> in Berlin. Yeah, I, I, I tried to queue up at the Berghain, but uh, I, yeah. I won't be the only one. <laughs> okay. Well... If you have time on Thursday night and you like the Bundesliga and you like RCH Diecast and indeed The Athletic, may I suggest you join us for a big prostate cancer UK quiz, which is all going to be on the Bundesliga. Uh, with the help of our friends at Prostate Cancer UK, we will be putting on 31 football quizzes across February and March to find out who our most knowledgeable subscriber is and, of course, to raise money for a very important cause. Prostate Cancer UK help fund life-saving research and provide valuable support and information for men and their partners affected or worried about prostate cancer. We'll be encouraging you to donate money on the night for a great cause. We will be running a quiz for every team we cover, plus one each for the Bundesliga. That's us, Serie A and La Liga. 
The winners of each quiz will go through to a grand final at the end of March, where there is a very nice £1,000 up for grabs, and we will match this with a donation to Prostate Cancer UK. The quizzes will be hosted by the correspondent for that club or league, yes, that's me, and you'll be able to team up with anyone in your household to play. If you're not already a subscriber, you can sign up for a 30-day free trial to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash PCUK and register to play the quiz. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hi, I'm James McNicholas, and I'm here to tell you about the latest series from Beyond the Headline, the making of Big Sam. You see, Sam Allardyce seemingly can't quit English football, and English football can't quit him. But why? Why does football keep coming back to Sam Allardyce? To answer those questions and more, you'll hear from Big Sam himself, those who have worked for him, and those who've witnessed the full Big Sam experience. You can hear it all now and ad-free via the Athletic app. Just search for Beyond the Headline now. Of course, one club where there are never any political discussions or differences is Bayern. Uh, they're always um, <laughs> are completely unified in, in the way that they see things. They had an interesting game against Hoffenheim, against uh, Sebastian Hoeneß, who's of course the nephew of uh, Uli Hoeneß, the son of Dieter Hoeneß. And uh, Bayern had lost against Hoffenheim earlier on in the season. And uh, there was a pretty funny line, I think, in build saying Bayern are looking for the Hoeneß revenge, uh, which um, is usually the other way around that Hoeneß is looking for Bayern revenge. But here they played very well. They conceded a few chances, which has been a feature of the season, but they also scored four goals. And there were some lovely scenes between Hansi Flick and Hasan Salihamidzic, who kind of high-fived each other every time after every goal. And at stages, at times, they even looked at each other uh, while they were doing that. So maybe maybe just signs there <laughs> of things becoming a little bit more harmonic. Kevin, are you buying all of this? No, not completely. Uh, I think, you know, Flick has been rightly, in a way, emboldened by the success that he's had. He's got very definite ideas about the way he wants the team to go um, and Hassan Salahamidzic does not necessarily have the same ideas and I think it, it's been interesting to see Flick talk about David Alaba publicly and be quite clear on the fact that he wanted him to stay but obviously they haven't been able to, to sort the numbers out also uh, I think there's a feeling that he would like to keep Jerome Boateng as well and maybe get his contract extended and I'm not sure the club uh, are of the same mind on that score either. Uh, Salahamidzic admitted uh, that they spoke this week uh, to the agents of Deo Upamecano which is no big surprise. Bayern have been interested in him uh, for quite some time and I think a lot of top clubs will be interested in Upamecano when his uh, release clause kicks in at the end of this season. But I guess while Bayern are winning, that strengthens Flick's position 
even further. But whenever you've got that kind of simmering tension between the sporting director and the coach, it's never a very good thing. I do think Bayern in the last few games, even though they've not been perfect and even though they haven't put together complete performances necessarily, there definitely has been a step in the right direction. Because do you think this kind of civil civil war is, is sustainable uh, in the long run? Um, yes, Hansi Flick is winning, but at the same time, he is not really doing what I think the rest of the club wants, which is to promote certain players, give chances to Mark Rocco, though he he started and, and played throughout the game, which I think was maybe seen as a as a bit of a peace offering. But even him saying that for him, the 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 two centre-backs are going to be Boateng and Alaba when it's clear that they're leaving at the end of the season and Bayern are desperately trying to establish Lucas Hernandez and, and Niklas Sule uh, back in the centre-back positions. He seems to be very much a coach of his own mind and I think the club find that difficult to handle and usually when these things happen at Munich there's only one outcome. Do you think that this is heading for, for a big bang uh, this relationship? At least it's not unlikely uh, because um, I mean on the on the one hand side uh, the job of the coach is to field the best uh, possible team because he has to win matches so if he decides he wants to uh, play Alaba and Boateng go for it uh, that's his uh, sporting decision but on the other hand side in the long run uh, the decisions a club has to make about uh, signing, about whom they want to sell, and and so on. I think it's it's um, it, it, uh, it's something that the club has decide, or um, in this case uh, Hasan Salihamidzic, uh, or him and uh, Oliver Kahn and Karl uh, uh, Rummenigge and so on. And and that's not so much uh, the job of the coach. And so. If, uh, if Flick is uh, um, trying to blur this uh, uh, a bit, and it may, and what I've also heard that he is uh, may in a way trying to bring the players on his side, I think he is he is creating problems for him that are not necessary. And and you're right. Um, uh, when you look at at Bayern, uh, the the, um, the 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 uh, Coach at Bayern, uh, although they had a lot of admired coaches like Jupinkas and Ottmar Hitzfeld and Pep and uh, and so on and so on, he is not normally he is not the strong man uh, because Bayern likes to keep things in their hand. And uh, so if if Flick is is trying to start what you call a civil war, he will lose it in the end. Full stop. I think one of the interesting things as well is that he's been quite happy to criticise Leroy Sané when necessary in public and talk about the fact that he has to up his game with and without the ball. And I think that's probably a good thing in some ways for a coach to do because he needs to try and motivate Sané. Uh, but I don't feel like Sané is necessarily an automatic first choice right now. And I think that also might be a bone of contention going forward because he's somebody that the club had their eye on for a long, long time. Before the injury, uh, they would have liked to have signed him, but that was delayed by a year. And uh, I wonder if that may be a point of conflict going forward as well, because we haven't seen the best of Leroy Sané. 
and Hansi Flick is not necessarily ready to wait for that to happen. He has other options in those positions, so that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, very much. Uh, one of the themes of the season is where the, whether Leroy Sané can establish himself. I thought there'd be signs of him actually improving in the last few weeks, so I was a little bit surprised that he was left out of the starting eleven. Uh, Serge Gnabry and uh, Kingsley Coman playing very well, actually. Now, that win for Bayern made sure that they were going to be, once again, pretty unmolested at the top of the table. Seven points was the the gap between them and Leipzig before this match day, and it continues to be because Leipzig just about beat uh, Leverkusen's side, who've only picked up four points from their last seven games. So really not the best the best spell they're in i i don't think it's some kind of uh, athletics curse that we interview the coach and then they do badly <laughs> it's uh, something that uh, only christoph can do but, but uh, since since peter bosch came on and, and gave us a really very exciting uh, interesting interview Leverkusen have struggled um is it the injuries you think that have come back to bite them because they have been doing very well to, to compensate, but maybe they're just running a little bit out of out of steam at the moment, Christoph. Yeah, uh, but before I answer, um, I, I would like you, uh, I would suggest you to maybe do a lot of interviews with uh, Bayern players to to create <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> create more suspense in the Bundesliga. But we also tried that as El Freunde, and uh, in a way, it never works. Um, yeah, so. Um, as you said, it's it's a it's a it's a bad patch of the season for uh, Leverkusen because it's a combination of uh, injured players and uh, also a, a, a bit of uh, bad luck and a bit uh, a, a, a drop of form, but not dramatically. Uh, so it's all very tight. They, when when you look at the matches uh, they are playing and um, and. Uh, Right now, they are uh, very often at the unlucky end. Uh, for example, uh, recently when they were losing at Union Berlin, uh, they, they could have also won it and uh, they also could have got a point from, from Leipzig and so on. And uh, so that all comes together. So I, it's, it's a crisis, and, but it's not like that you get the impression that uh, Leverkusen is faltering right now. I think they can recover and uh, if they get some players back and also if, if uh, uh, luck comes back to them. I'm a little bit more negative about Leverkusen right now. I, I think there's a fragility there. I think they haven't really recovered from that defeat to Bayern where they led and then gave away two horrible goals. I still think they make too many mistakes. I think even in the game that they won in this spell against Dortmund, they dominated big swathes of that game still could have easily lost it. A 1-1, Jaden Sancho had a great chance for Dortmund. If he takes that, I think Leverkusen go on to lose the game. And I think Peter Boss looks increasingly frustrated, maybe, by what's going on around him. And it's really interesting, their transfer policy, they're continuing to bring in young guys. They've brought in a couple of kind of cheap um options from English football and Timothy Fosu-Mensah and Damari Gray. And I think they're both talented, uh, but they are fixer-uppers, if you like. And so they're not bringing in 
proven players that are ready to go right now. And I just wonder how far can they actually go? Because I think Peter Boss has done a manful job to make them competitive. Um, he does have some great players at his disposal. So I think there's a regression to the mean, but also I, I, I do think they make too many mistakes. I don't think they're clinical enough in attack. And again, you know, they've gone back to where we think they probably should be, which is battling away for fourth spot. I think if they do get fourth by the end of the season, that will be seen as a success. But in Peter Boss's mind, I just wonder whether he's thinking, what then? What's the next step? How do we get anywhere near challenging for trophies? Because they're not there yet. No, well, at this stage, they might even miss out on top four because they're joint fifth now with Borussia Dortmund and Borussia Mönchengladbach. Or shall we say, they're ahead of them by virtue of, of goal difference only. And uh, Union Berlin, our uh, favourite talking point in eighth after a 1-1 draw against Gladbach. That was disappointing for both sides, I guess. Um, quick word on Dortmund, um, 3-1 against Augsburg. Uh, the sort of small game and regulation win that sometimes has eluded them. So perhaps slightly better vibes there in, in uh, Westphalia with Edin Terzic getting a bit more time to, to get things right, Christoph? Yeah, 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 I would say so. They were very happy about this win. So it wasn't spectacular, but they were especially happy because um, they, they, they didn't uh, concede a goal after a, a, a set piece again because uh, uh, <laughs> Augsburg only had one corner, so that helped. And now altogether it was a, especially from the defensive uh, side it was a, a very good uh, performance and um, uh, as we've been saying in recent weeks that's uh, what uh, Terzic is constantly trying to improve I think they go very optimistic uh, into into the the, the, uh, the weeks to come because I mean the they they it's it's still a bit patchy it's 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 still not super stable um, but uh, you get the impression uh, Dortmund is heading in the right direction. There were some things I loved about that performance. Uh, I, I liked the reaction to conceding the goal. It was a bad goal to give away, even though Andre Hahn took it very well. But they didn't panic. They kept playing their game. I thought Jaden Sancho was terrific from the get-go. I think he's been markedly better since the turn of the year. The numbers will tell you that and the eye test will tell you that as well took his winning goal superbly ice cool finish in the bottom corner Thought Rafael Guerrero left back was a constant menace he set up that goal for Sancho uh, with one of his uh, pinpoint passes so that was terrific I thought Thomas Delaney who I thought really struggled at the Bay Arena against Leverkusen the other week was superb absolutely brilliant in the middle of the park breaking play up getting them moving and it did feel like a much more cohesive performance with plenty of belief in it because it would have been so easy having conceded that early goal to throw their hands up and say oh here we go again but there was a real determination there Ailing Haaland missed a penalty but he didn't let that affect him and he ended up forcing the own goal that made it 3-1 so I thought psychologically it was a really big step for them I know it doesn't seem on the face of it they've beaten Augsburg at home so what but actually that could prove to be one of the most important results of the season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, we definitely had another um, disappointing result written all over it, but no, it wasn't to be Dortmund, as you said, uh, turned up. And of course, when they play, uh, they are one of the best teams, if not the best team to watch combination-wise. So things are a little bit better there, but things really, really good at a place that we haven't really talked about much. We've ignored them, actually, and I think it's time to pay tribute to Falfer Wolfsburg, who are up in third following a very, very convincing win against Freiburg, everyone's uh, favourite underdogs. But no, it was Wolfsburg who really crushed them. And Oliver Glasner, a coach who not long ago looked like he might be heading back to Austria or somewhere else because he'd fallen out with uh, Schmatke, the sporting director, is now leading Wolfsburg into the Champions League as things stand. Christoph, let's hear it for Wolfsburg. I think this, what, what you call the fallout between the uh, Jörg Schmatke and uh, Oliver Glasner, was not actually a fallout. It was something that helped to uh, clear a, a, a situation that maybe was a bit unclear. And that is uh, was a similar conflict that we um, have been talking about concerning um, Hansi Flick and, and the club. So also uh, Glasner was uh, um, openly complaining about the transfer policy at Wolfsburg. And uh, Jörg Schmatke was very angry about it because he, he was thinking, it's not his job, and uh, but but um, uh, Schmatke still sees um, uh, Glasner as a as a good coach, and he showed it because um, uh, Wolfsburg has becoming increasingly interesting to watch. Um, at the beginning of the season, there were this uh, kind of yeah uh, rock solid uh, defensively sound team with the uh, and having a as top striker up front with Wout Weghorst, but now it's the, the, the whole setup for the Wolfsburg uh, game becomes more complex, more interesting to see. They're playing good football combination and they, they have a lot of, they, they're playing very grown-up football. In a way, they are uh, a similar in their style um, to, to Frankfurt, for example, uh, who are also um, over the years have a kind of very uh, how, how can I say that? A, a very grown-up, very tough, mature, uh, st mature uh, style of uh, football, and um, and you see it also at Wolfsburg, and and um, 
But the man is uh, Wout Weghorst, uh, the Dutch uh, striker, and he also scored against uh, again against uh, Freiburg. And you you could see in the situation when he was scoring how how good he is. So it's a it's a combination of. Uh, um, of technical skills and elegance on the one hand side and sheer physical um, presence on the other hand side. So, yeah, uh, we have to take them very seriously this season now. I was on commentary for that game on Sunday and I had a bit of an epiphany before it because I'd always kind of held on to that idea of Wolfsburg from the early weeks of the season where they're functional, they're a bit dull, they'll grind out results, but against the top teams, they won't do much. And then you look through that team and the spine of it. I've got one of the best goalkeepers in the league in Kuhn Castells. Uh, I think he's established himself as that. You look at that centre-back partnership now. Maxence Lacroix has to have a shout for being the signing of the season. I think in terms of the value, in terms of what he's been able to achieve since arriving in the league, he is immaculate. He's quick, he tackles well, he's good in the air, he's tough. John Brooks, alongside him, is playing as well as I've ever seen Brooks play uh, at this level. You then look at what's in front of them. Xaver Schlager and Maxi Arnold, really solid. Josue Guilavogui he can't get in the team right now. And that's because they're a really good pairing because Arnold has the passing range and Schlager will run around, break up play, tackle everybody and do that. Renato Steffen's getting better all the time in that front four. A brilliant pass through for Weghorst for his goal against Freiburg. And then you have Reid Labaku on the other side, who's got bags of energy, really wants to win, really wants to improve all the time. It was interesting listening to the under-21 coach, Stefan Kuntz, talk about him uh, and the way that he takes criticism on board. And as Christoph says, Veghorst is so very reliable and so consistent. If he stays fit, and there's no reason to suggest he won't, if he stays fit between now and the end of the season, they've got a real shout because you look at the teams like Leverkusen, like Gladbach, like Dortmund, they have shown a flakiness that Wolfsburg simply haven't. They've only lost twice, and those defeats were perfectly understandable, away at Bayern and away at Dortmund. Apart from that, they've not lost a single game. They look they look scarily good, it must be said. Perhaps not the team that the neutrals are, are rooting for, uh, certainly not the club, I think, that the neutrals are rooting for because they're seen as a little bit of a faceless corporate club, not not well established, but the work that they're doing on and off the pitch demands huge respect. And if the season were to finish today, you'd have Bayern Munich as champions, yes, of course, but then you'd have three teams in Leipzig, Wolfsburg and Frankfurt who have what in common, Christoph? The quiz is already starting. <laughs> <laughs> but let me take a deviation first. Um, what they don't have in common, they don't all have a great center forwards because that is what uh, Leipzig is lacking. But what we have in the Bundesliga right now is a, a very interesting group of center forwards. I mean, led by the um, unbelievable world superclass Robert Lewandowski, who has already scored... Uh, 24 goals, but we also have Andre Silva at, at Frankfurt who has scored uh, 16 goals. Erling Haaland scored 14 goals, because, but having only 14 appearances. 
Uh, Andre Kamaric, who has scored uh, 13 goals, only having uh, 15 uh, appearances, and and also uh, Wout Weghorst with uh, 13 goals. So that I I can't remember any season uh, where they where so many good strikers uh, have been in the uh, goal scorers list uh, of the Bundesliga. So um, it's an it's an interesting sign, and and um, so but coming back from a little deviation. The, uh, uh, yeah. Very welcome deviation. I have say. the quiz answer, by the way. If, if yeah. I, I, like a quiz show, if Christoph doesn't have it, I'm ready to step in with my buzzer. Yes, go on. Right here. Go on. They're all Red Bull coaches. Adi Hooter, Oliver yes. Glasner. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, Oliver Glasner, Adi Hooter, and of course, Julian Nagelsmann, who is currently a Red Bull coach. Indeed, that is exactly the answer I was looking for. And it's interesting because uh, when you look at these uh, RB coaches, um, um, they are all quite different. And uh, I, I would also say that um, uh, Julian Nagelsmann, for example, is not playing the uh, classical RB football that is mainly focused on organizing against the ball. Same goes for... Um, uh, for Marco Rosa at Mönchengladbach, who ha has uh, adjusted his uh, football uh, when uh, since he is in, in in the Bundesliga and so on. So uh, yeah, yes and no. <laughs> I think yes, in as much as when you are Salzburg coach, you have the ball anyway. I think they play differently to Leipzig. Um, in any case, uh, automatically. Um, but of course, the reason I asked this is that. Uh, you might have seen this. Uh, we did a big piece on the um, Ralf Rangnick network where we tried to find all the the main coaches and, and players who have been influenced by him in the Bundesliga and it, it turned into a very um, exhaustive uh, undertaking. But writing this piece, which I would recommend to you, dear listener, it struck me that there's a completely different view on Rangnick and what he's done outside of Germany, where you know people just look at the success and they look at the the ideas, and in Germany where and in Germany where I think his success is always wrapped up in a more political philosophical debate about the type of clubs that he made successful, or at least yeah. put the structures in place in Hoffenheim and Leipzig. Kevin, before I come to you on this, just Christoph, is it time we were to separate those two things and look more at Rangnick, the innovator, rather than Rangnick, somebody who opened the door to what some people think is sort of the bad corporate side of, of Bundesliga football? I think both is true. I mean, he is uh, maybe uh, the most influential uh, figure in, in, in German football when you look over the last uh, 20 years, because um, as you have been writing, he has been influencing so so many uh, uh, players and co especially coaches with his uh, ideas. And, um, and in, in a way, he was shaping German football we, we, we can say but when you when you look at his personal record um, when he was in uh, in charge as a coach and uh, as a as a technical director or manager um, he, he was he, he was very good under this very special circumstances of corporate like clubs like Hoffenheim and um, and the 
RB world. And I actually, I would like to see Rangnick in, in a uh, traditional uh, football environment, well, wherever that might be. For, uh, let it be Hertha or uh, let it be a, an English club or, or somewhere in Italy or Spain or wherever he wants to go. I mean, he was, we all know that he was uh, negotiating with, with Milan uh, some months ago. And yeah, so I think to to make the the Rangnick story around it story in Germany as well, um, it, it it would be great to see him in a in an old fashioned football club with all these complicated power struggles uh, uh, that we have been discussing at the beginning of, of the show with uh, about Stuttgart for for example, and uh, not so much in this uh, corporate world like uh, clubs uh, like Hoffenheim. And and, and Leipzig. Yeah, I agree. I'd, I'd have loved to have seen him at Milan and seen what he would have done. But I think people don't necessarily realise, and I think when they read the articles that you've written on Thomas Tuchel, for example, Rafa, uh, they will realise this, that he's had such an influence on so many coaches and obviously worked with Tuchel at Ulm and uh, Tuchel was a player and then that knee cartilage injury uh, stopped his career at 25. And it was Rangnick who showed him that kind of play with and without the ball, the pressing, but also uh, that attractive style with the ball. And then, of course, you have the chain of events that leads to Thomas Tuchel uh, getting a certain Julian Nagelsmann to do some opposition scouting for him. And that's what started uh, Nagelsmann's journey as well. So I'm not sure everybody realises just what an enormous influence Rangnick's been on German coaches and you look at how many star coaches Germany has, not just domestically, but now uh, around Europe. Uh, and Ragnick, Ragnick is a massive part of that. I think he was also so very influential um, because it was not only that uh, coaches were taking up his, his ideas and replicate them, um, but, he, but he was influencing coaches um, to further think about uh, football because he was almost having a, a theoretical approach and um, but but different so very good coaches like Julian Nagelsmann, Thomas Tuchel and, and Marco Rose and so on um, they made their own conclusions and um, so we're heading probably in slightly uh, different direction but they were uh, thinking about football, they were developing their ideas, and and uh, I find that fascinating. And and that was uh, started by meeting somebody like uh, Ralf Rangnick, who uh, gave them a mind frame to do that. Yeah, thank you very much. You've done a great job at selling this this piece now. To, to the audience. <laughs> uh, You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I can only implore you, uh, dear listener, to, to have a look if you haven't done already. And I think we might even print the Ralph Rangnick diagram as a poster, although it would be a very, very big one. You need a huge, huge wall to hang that up. But that's all we've got time for uh, this week. Thank you very much, Kevin. Thank you very much, Christoph. Thank you very much, dear listener, for being our guest this week. We'll be back next week with all the shenanigans from the Bundesliga on stage and off here on Starcast. The Athletic.